You're listening to the Puck Authority Podcast. Your go-to source for all things hockey. Welcome to episode 35 of the Puck Authority Podcast. As always, I'm pleased to be joined by David Sis, who is the CEO of the Puck Authority. However, I'm really pleased to be joined on this episode by Stephen Ellis of the Hockey News, who has been doing some exceptional work throughout the duration of the World Juniors. And as we head into the semifinals, I thought who better to bring in for a primer episode than Stephen Ellis. Stephen, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Absolute pleasure. So, um, you know, it's been a really uh, exciting tournament. We've seen a lot of um, high scoring games, a lot of blowouts, obviously. Um, But through that, we've also seen a lot of uh, really great talent and there's so much that stands out. And so immediately I want to pick your brain. uh, And, you know, I said this to you via DM that because there's just there's so much to discuss when you look at, you know, how this tournament might end um, just based on where we are now. We know that, you know, Team Germany, you know, they were taken out of this tournament. Austria just never looked good. Uh, Slovakia, they've been struggling to say the very least. Um, so maybe I'll start there. Have you been surprised by any of these outcomes? Not entirely. I knew there was this year was going to be a little tougher because if you lose, like if you're Canada and you lose Kirby Doc, that's one thing. But if you're Germany and you lose, you don't have more Satter, you don't have Lucas Reichel, that means a lot more. And obviously that, that Germany game, it wouldn't have been 16 to two if Germany had... Um, like even if we ignore Saturn Reichel, if they just had a full lineup, that would have been better because it, it was back to back already. They had to play Finland who really pushed them. And Finland looks like that was like, I think their most complete game was against Germany. And obviously that's not saying much when you're playing one of the team of half a roster out there. But uh, I think that was really telling um, for Austria, obviously not, not a great tournament for them, but this is a team that was really one line focused. And I really banked on that. And also when the, when your top defenseman is an actual forward in league play, that's not a good sign. So Austria was missing uh, three of their top four defensemen. So it was going to be tough. And so, so for, for that point, we definitely expected that. Um, I, I, at the same time, I know the whole argument about whether we should cut some teams out of this tournament. Let's say this, there's, there's blowouts like this often. And this is, we're not going to use many blowouts as this tournament used to people kind of forget 15, 20 years ago, this tournament was full of it. It was a good day. If you didn't have two goal or two games with 10 goals scored. So um, that, that we're, we've come a long way, but at the same time, we've, we got countries where you want to see a bit more. I would love to see Slovakia be a more consistent powerhouse considering they've been in this top division for a long time. And they continuously just don't do a lot with it outside of their two bronze medals, which came far apart. And we're also based off of really good goaltending. So uh, I wasn't totally shocked about it, but it's the world juniors. that happens. Right. Then to keep in mind that the world juniors early on were ravaged by COVID-19 taking down players from team Germany, team Sweden only had seven players to start out. And then, you know, their coaching staff uh, got ravaged by it too. They had a new head coach, um, but, you know, once the pieces finally started coming back together and there's been uh, no positives since, we've seen a lot of, you know, really great action. Um, but Sweden, uh, maybe I'll, I'll continue on there. They, I think, surprised many in the last couple of days with three consecutive losses. And I think that that's um, particularly was a surprise to me and um, as well as worrisome. Um, so, you know, you, you look at the damage duo being Alexander Holtz and Lucas Raymond, then, you, you know, the strength of J- Jesper Wallstedt, what do you think went wrong for them, you know, when you look at the big picture of this team overall? Well, there were some definitely some interesting coaching um, decisions. I, I love the Terror Twins, Lucas uh, 
Lucas Raymond and Alex Holtz, when they're together, they're fantastic, but clearly things weren't working out. Part of that was they didn't have, um, they didn't have their number one centerman and Carl Hendrickson being the guy that was setting them up. And that, as a result, we, we saw not exactly the, uh, the premier Swedish lineup. Um, then they at that game where they played against the Americans was two poor goals. I think they probably should have pulled on the fed out of that game and put in Wallstead and, and try to get the momentum back and really spice things up because it looked like on wasn't in, in his mindset that he usually is in. And he almost allowed another really bad goal where he was way out of the crease just a few minutes after that second goal. So he just couldn't keep it up. So there were some odd coaching decisions there, but Sweden, I, I kind of picked them to come fourth place. I didn't think they were going to go out of there and get a medal. Um, and it looked like that was at least going to be the case. And Finland was going to come fifth, like I predicted, but then Finland just kind of, showed up out of nowhere, goes out there and, and pulled off what they were able to do. So, uh, yeah, I'd say for Sweden, it was tough, but it wasn't the most exciting, greatest team ever. Um, their goaltending, uh, all the felt wasn't great when he necessarily needed to be. And, um, they kind of threw Wallstead into the fire there. Hey, your first game is uh, one where we need you to, uh, basically steal us this one here. And it, it just didn't happen because that was again, his first U 20 game. So, um, it's, not again, not the Swedish performance we wanted, but we knew they would be handicapped because of a few of the players gone. And it was a whole new coaching staff that wasn't prepared for that. And I believe one of them was like a sports journalist. That was one of the assistant coaches for Sweden. So it just, well, it wasn't a lineup that you could get totally thrilled about. And then when Philip Broberg got hurt, that was another key piece that they lost there. And even though he played, he was not the Philip Broberg we know. Yeah, a lot of things were uh, out of place. Players weren't ready. And, you know, understandably, this was a challenging time. Then you look at, as well, the duration of which selection camp ran for most of these teams was only a week, whereas Canada got several weeks. And so, um, you know, I think that that also played a part in just, you know, the overall result in the World Juniors to this point. And I don't know if that's something that stands out to you and, you know, that some teams took a longer than others, and then as well as specific players perhaps to, you know, get their legs under them, get comfortable and uh, get going. And with that, I'm you know, I think of one of the most recent controversial topics on Twitter, and that was um, the, you know, the energy pickup of Quinton Byfield, and I'm sure you saw it, and, um, you know, it, that conversation kind of leaves me speechless, and, you know, he's a top talent. He was second overall by the LA Kings, um, and I'm, I'm not one to share an opinion here because I just I can't agree with everything I saw, but I want to hear from you kind of where your head's at in terms of Quinton Byfield. You know, once he got going again, a six-point night, two goals, four assists, and you know he's sure he hasn't been uh, the biggest offensive presence, but he hasn't done nothing. So I kind of want to you know uh, pick your brain about him. I usually like to stay out of that Twitter drama because of just a lot of it's, it's just like it's not conductive to anything. But that one I, I had to weigh in. I've watched Quinton Byfield play since he was about 14 years old, watching play back in Bantam, minor midget days in Ontario. So I, I've seen a lot of his growth and a lot of his game. There was a point where I think he was a much more physically dominant player at a younger age, and it kind of just didn't exactly translate well into the OHL. And eventually he started to add some uh, strength to his game. And he added 10 pounds this offseason. That seemed to really help his physical game. But then people were saying like, oh, well, you know, he got one assist in a 16-2 to game. So it's a 16 to two game. It's clearly not worthy of even scouting or looking at. And I know I can tell you that pro scouts, amateur scouts, they weren't following that game. The people that were going there criticizing were people who don't get to see Byfield a lot, who maybe the last time they saw him play was last year's World Juniors, where he was the youngest player on the team. He was slotted as a 13 forward right away, and he played 13 forward minutes. 
Well, again, uh, Byfield didn't do a lot to really take himself out of that spot, but you take a guy who's used to being the dominant player on your team, and then you're now pushing him down the lineup as one of the youngest players on a, in a system that really benefits the older players. There was not really an opportunity for him to get, improve there. This year, I really liked where he was. I predicted back in October, my, my original roster um, that I picked, that he'd be a third-line center. And people were saying, well, no, no, he'll be first or second-line center. It's like, no, his role will be better in the third line because you can match him up against other teams' third lines, other teams' fourth lines. Well, Quinta Byfield is not a third or fourth line player. So if you got a guy that deep in the lineup, he's going to hold his own. And that's where he belongs. And that line's been good to a point. I don't think Jack Quinn's really doing much for that line. I didn't really think Jack Quinn could have made this team or should have made this team over a guy like Seth Jarvis. Um, uh, but you, you need a guy who could go out there and, and compete with Byfield. And we haven't seen that. Usually jack quinn's one of the best goal scorers on this group and he's not finishing the plays that they need to but with byfield we see how valuable he is defensively we see how valuable he's becoming as a physical player uh he's a much more well-rounded player than he was even two years ago when he started out with sudbury and we're starting to see someone who is becoming such a fantastic prospect i think we will see maybe byfield move to the wing at some point in la because they've got some good center depth um but again like if, if your number two, one center is is Kopitar and your number two center ends up becoming Turcotte, if, if Byfield's your third-line center, that's not a knock on Byfield. That's just showing how strong LA's center depth will be. And that's kind of the case with Canada. They've got a lot of good centermen. Kirby Duck, if he played center and he was in this team, again, that's a different story. Maybe we're talking fourth-line Byfield this whole tournament. I'm not too worried about his performance in the tournament. And... Uh, you know, that six point game really quieted a lot of people, but yeah, yeah, got to also perform more than that. I just think people were looking for points out of a second overall pick, but there's more to him than just points. And I think we're seeing a guy who's just, again, so well rounded, you can rely on him anywhere in the ice. And sometimes his best games are the ones where he's quiet and not getting a lot of shots. Well, it's because he's doing other things. And I, I can tell you this team Canada's coaching staff has been a big fan of his play. Andre Torini, I know has spoken very highly of him, um, you know, both during selection, selection camp and throughout uh, the duration of this tournament. Um, and I think that's a huge testament to, you know, what Quinton Byfield is able to do. And, you know, sure, um, I think there was also expectation, you know, once Kirby Doc was lost that Quinton Byfield, you know, steps up and replaces him. But at the same time, it's also been nice to see Dylan Cousins and Bo mm -hmm. Byram uh, share that role. And Dylan Cousins has taken that to heart both on and off the ice. Most recently, uh, yesterday, we saw him right off the first draw uh, with the goal almost, or I should say almost with the goal within the first couple seconds. But then later on, he did just that. And then Bo Byram as well. I think his character and his uh, on-ice performance really goes to show that this um, leadership is something that was just kind of meant to be an Andre Torini. I give you Huge credit to um, for everything he's done to get this team in shape um, and put together what he thought was the best decisions uh, in all facets of this team. And I think he's done just that. And when I speak of that, I also look to the goaltending. And I think the goaltending perhaps caught a couple by surprise, given that Brett Brochu was, I think, a name that many uh, at first glance were surprised when he was cut from selection camp. But then you look at the strength of Devin Levi and, you know, in the last two games has two consecutive shutouts and the others, of course, are blowouts. So, you know, it, the fact that they weren't shutouts don't matter. But, you know, when when you look at this goaltending and you and you, I guess, consider what that's attributed to, how do you see, um, you know, this 19 year old? stud kind of coming in and you know making a name for himself from, right from junior a and this is something that you took to twitter about so i wanted to uh hear more from you 
Yeah, Devin Levi, he's a guy where we saw him at the World Junior A Challenge last year, and he just put an absolute clinic on. He was the, the best goalie in that tournament, and he was a reason why Canada East got as far as they did. Um, in terms of making this, I, I had a, his agent actually contact me after uh, after the Team Canada like summer World Junior Camp was roster was announced, and I wrote an article talking about like looking at Canada's goalie options. And uh, at the time, it was like Dylan Garan looks like the guy who's going to be number one, and then all of a sudden we get this guy, Devin Levi. And I saw uh, an, a, the, his agent comes out and says, yeah, like check out Devin Levi. I'm thinking, okay, well, I like Devin Levi a lot. I think he'll be a good prospect, but again, he's only way to play junior Ray, but at the same time, he dominated junior Ray in a way that very few goalies have. Like we're looking at Colton point who also played for the Carlton place Canadians as a, as a kind of a similar example, but for Levi, he was in a really tough spot to begin with. He enters camp and he's got a quarantine for two weeks. And then as soon as that two week quarantine ends, they have a whole team wide quarantine and then they had to cut players and they cut him with, or they cut uh, the goal, the other goalies and they sent home uh, Brett Brochu and Tristan Lennox, but Levi didn't actually get into any practices when they had to do that. So I thought that was a pretty surprising thing, but at the same time of Brochu, I, I didn't think it was this, his year anyways. Uh, he had really good, one training camp game and a half, but um, you also got to really look at to the, the big picture. And the same thing is Levi is going to be playing in the NCAA. He's a high quality goalie and um, he, he got his opportunity to really impress. If he didn't go to the NCAA route, he would have been a starter in the OHL for potentially two years by now. Like he's, he's that good of a goaltender. Um, but he, he made the decision to go to where he did and, He's he's really proven himself right now. I definitely caught uh, turning off guard. I know he did not expect uh, to see what we've seen out of him, but you just got to give him a chance. I, I said before this tournament, uh, people were saying like Naki Canada's goaltending. I said, don't worry one bit. If Levi gets hot, he gets hot. And we've seen this at different levels. And we saw that in, in we didn't get to see him play in the pre-tournament games, but he got a shutout and then allowed two goals kind of right off the bat in his first game and then played fantastic after that, according to some people I've talked to about those games. So you look listen to that, and it's like, well, he came in very hot at the right time, and he's been the hot, the hot shoe here for sure. And he did get some training time with the NCAA. So we got to practice with some some high quality players. It wasn't like he just kind of sat around all year and we're seeing a guy who's really performing at the best. So it's really cool to see. And also really add some legitimacy to junior a, which I've covered junior a, that's why I got my start in hockey with Oakville blades and North York Rangers. I can tell you, there's a lot of really good goaltenders that come through the system and definitely buys another one. And I think he really stood out again, when you mentioned the fact that after the, you know, the roster wide shutdown for two weeks due to the COVID outbreak, and then he comes in with a shutout, even in a scrimmage game that really said something and stood out to me. It's also worth mentioning that Jason LaBarber, the goaltending coach continuously pointed out in his one press conference at the beginning and said like Levi is putting in the work. He's watching the game tape. He's going out of his way to continue improving and continue getting better. And he was the only goalie not in camp, but he was the guy LaBarbera brought up the most. And I think that was starting to become a telling sign. I actually wrote in my, I was writing a story about the goaltending that was going to go up the day before the, or the day after the shutdown happened. And I was going to say like, Levi might miss the team by no fault of his own, but if he gets a chance, I think he can run with it. And he's run with it. He certainly has. And I was a little bit concerned that they might cut him. I thought that might be unfairly done. Um, but, you know, I'm super glad that, uh, Turnier has decided to uh, keep him. It's paid off in huge measures. 
so let's take a look at other facets of Team Canada, since that is a team you know that I think we've pre both predominantly covered uh, since the beginning in Red Deer. And something that stood out to me was, you know, A, the line that was Kirby, Doc, Connor, Zari, and Philip Tomasino, and someone who's continued to stand out is Philip Tomasino, indeed. So, um, you know, I, I feel like whoever he uh, has been uh, shifted on lines with from Tournier, he's just made the most of it, and he's clicked. He had three straight goals to open the tournament, and he just continues to um, look to boost his performance. So um, I, I guess in that way, you know, how do you see him as, you know, again, a prospect of the Predators and someone who's looking to continue to make an impact uh, onwards to the gold medal, hopefully, uh, on January 5th. Kind of like everyone, I was surprised he wasn't in that game against Russia, but at the same time, we knew the lines were going to shift anyways, so uh, it wasn't going to be too concerned about, but with Tomasino, he looked so good at the beginning of camp with Kirby Doc, and then it just kind of see, when they, they split him up from Doc, he still looked good. This is a guy that was really playing some good hockey, and we knew he was going to have an impact and obviously he had a really strong start to the tournament. It's kind of fizzled out a bit, but he isn't also getting a whole lot of opportunities. So there's that, but I think it's someone where he had a hundred points in the OHL last year. You can't really go wrong with him. And he very well could make the NHL this year as kind of like a, maybe not a full-time predators prospect, but maybe he does. And I think there he's one of, well, the guy I work with Ryan Kennedy, he actually put him as a underdog sleeper, um, Calder Trophy winner. And, you know, I, I think it's a stretch, but someone you got to keep an eye on because uh, he really makes the most of his opportunities. You watch him in the OHL, you know, he doesn't need to play a lot to be effective. And his big strength is putting pucks in the net and creating offensive uh, plays. And uh, maybe that's why he didn't get a start right off the bat because he's not maybe the strongest defensive player. He's not as well-rounded as some other guys like Byfield and even Dawson Mercer to a point. So, um, Maybe that's why they didn't uh, play him right away, but he's really proven himself. And I think it's someone that Nashville is going to be really excited about because Nashville, man, I was almost kind of of all teams to get the first overall pick. I was almost pulling for them. It's like, they really need a star prospect at some point in their franchise history. And Philip Forsberg, obviously very good, but we, we need like a big time prospect who could be a, a game changer up front. And Lafreniere would have been that, but Thomasino, obviously the drafted her here earlier. I, I'm, I'm liking what we're getting out of him. Maybe Askarov could be that game changer. Uh, luckily, they were able to get him, I believe, 13th overall. But on that note of Tomasino, it was interesting because at the press conferences um, at their selection camp, when we were talking to him, he was mentioning the fact that he was actually uh, in the bubble in Edmonton um, in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And he was rooming with uh, Ryan Ellis, who's been to this tournament and dominated this tournament three times. So he was able to, you know, talk to him a bit about the tournament and get some advice. So I thought that was really interesting. And I think that definitely Ellis's advice, whatever they talked about, clearly helped him because he's looked pretty good, very confident at this tournament, which is something I've liked. Yeah, it's, it's he's someone that, that being around the NHL players at a time where the other alternative was to sit at home I think was definitely very good for him he got to learn from some key people and and it, it seems like the coaching staff there likes him so I think that uh he, he will get a shot with Nashville this year um, especially if the the OHL the way it is where we don't know when they're coming back uh, there's no reason for him to go back but um he was traded for nine draft picks for a reason you know how good he is Right, so let's take a look at another uh, player who is also in the NHL bubble, and that's Thomas Harley, who got the shot this year with Ken's national team for the World Juniors. Uh, he's a name who hasn't, I'd say, hasn't really stood out to me throughout the duration of this tournament. Um, but in that, 
but in that with you know some players who were previously in Edmonton and this being their second go round in a bubble environment I think the mental aspect uh certainly plays into this tournament I think that that you know getting the advice from these players uh is certainly kind of a helping point so as we kind of now exit the quarterfinals and head into the semifinals. Um, I want to talk about the mental aspect of the game and how that kind of plays because we're seeing that some of these players, some of these teams again have dragged and for different reasons, whether it be loss of players or they're just not mentally in it. Some teams look like they're disinterested. And I think we've seen that, um, I think more than we probably should have this year um, in different ways. Is there any team to you that you, that I guess just came off to you as just, you know, I don't know, not providing that much effort, not showing that they you don't know, really want to be here or, you know, put themselves, uh, I guess, in a high saying position. Can look, you're on the national stage. You know, every team comes here with that one goal in mind. And it just, some teams haven't looked that way this year. Uh, well, uh, on one hand, Austria, just because it didn't seem like they wanted to give uh, Sebastian Renishitz any uh, any help in their zone. Um, but uh, I, I would say also Russia is just a team that they're, they're working through a rookie coach here in Igor Larionov and the players are really excited to be there. And Larionov has been really relaxed in his interviews. He's he, even when they've, they've lost or haven't looked great, you know, he's, he's still positive. He's upbeat. And I think that's a good message to send to your team that, um, you know, like Valerie Bregan, he, he, he made his opinions known. Uh, obviously we, we didn't really understand what he was saying here in English, but uh, he, he, he definitely would let into his teammates up or his uh, players at points. Uh, we're not seeing that here. And whether that's a good thing or bad thing, I don't know yet, but um, it's a Russian team that we just think like, man, like, why are they not playing better? They, they, they win two, one against Germany and Germany put out a really good effort and that meant so much to them. But it's like, that's a team that probably should have had four or five more goals in that game or like, and not just because of the mismatch more because they had some opportunity. They just kind of wasted. And I, I was talking to, to JD Berg a couple days ago from elite prospects. And we're like, man, this is like, why don't they have like 10 or 15 more goals in this tournament? They've got the talent. We saw what they could do with the Cariola Cup. It's like, they just don't look like a team that we're really thrilled about. Like I picked them to go and be the second place team and it's not going to work out that way due to seeding and everything. But um, I don't know. It just doesn't look like a team I'm totally thrilled about. Like I'm looking at Canada, Canada, Russia, and I'm like, I don't think Russia's got a huge opportunity here to go out there and win this game. It's just because they're not getting the big stars to perform on a nightly basis. And uh, their defense is just kind of how we expected every tournament uh not great and Shakir Mukamadoul and I I've watched this guy play for too many years and I feel like I say too many because he's frustrating to watch he get, some game he'll he'll go out there and be the best guy on the ice next game you'll be like what are you doing out here and, and unfortunately that's been about half the tournament for him uh and Askarov you know he's making me nervous at points he's, uh I, we've watched him play internationally since he was about 16 years old and I'm Still wondering when he's going to improve on the, the puck playing side of things. But overall, it, it's a Russian team that they typically get really hot when it matters, and that could still happen. But I'm just not feeling it this year about them. I'm just not loving what I'm seeing when we really thought they were going to be a true contender. And obviously they are. They're, they're going to be playing for a medal no matter what. But I thought we were going to see them being like the scariest team to play outside of Canada, and I don't feel like that right now. Yeah, and I haven't exactly been totally sold on them. Uh, and I'll let David speak more to that. But, you know, I see Vasily Podkolzin as, you know, perhaps their strongest player aside from Askarov. And Askarov, yeah, he's given me some, I think, nerves is the way I'll put it, uh, to say the very least, throughout this tournament. I haven't been totally sold on him either. So with that, I'll uh, let it over to David. Well, one thing uh, a couple of weeks ago on the podcast we were talking to Craig Button about, we were saying we both had Russia as 
uh, potentially a silver medal team. And we were talking a bit about that defense because this year, Russia's never been known for their uh, defensive prospects in no. recent years. Never, year, never, <laughs> basically. But, but it's looking, this year was a little bit different. I mean, they had some, you could say underrated, but they had some good players. I would say one guy I was very excited about was Yan Kuznetsov and a uh, second round pick by the Calgary Flames. He's a guy who was the youngest player in the NCAA last year, playing for the University of Connecticut. He put up more points than a lot of people would have thought, especially as a defenseman. So he was someone that I personally was very excited to watch this year. And uh, going along with some of the other blue liners, they had a, if any uh, defensive combination was going to be, or uh, if any team's defensive prospects were going to be interesting to watch this year, I thought it was going to be Russia because they got a lot of those kind of underrated players that could really impress, but I didn't see necessarily and. Craig Button was also saying the same kind of thing, that he was really interested to see what Russia would do, what Russia's blue line was going to do. But I have to say this year, I haven't really been seeing what I thought I would see. There was no, uh, you know, Alexander Romanov type player this year. There was no uh, real progression in that blue line mentality that I was expecting to see. And one thing is Askarov, again, you know, I said um, on my podcast, the Planet Prospects podcast, I said, you know, I don't need to watch Russia play to know that Askarov is going to be their MVP. I, that was something I was really a uh, bit of a, I didn't think it was such a bold take at the time, but I got to say, I was definitely so far wrong about that. I'm thinking that maybe in the medal games when it matters most is when we're going to see Askarov play at that, you know, level we've always known he could play. But again, Russia is a team that hasn't really impressed me so far, but I'm definitely intrigued to see if they're a team that could step it up in the medal round. Yeah, I, I, in terms of Askarov, like his numbers are still pretty good. He's still he's still one of the top goalies in this tournament, regardless of what's going on. Um, I just there's some nervous moments there, and it's like if you got the wrong team play at either end, they might make you pay for it. And um, I I think that you know he's he's got to be very very good against Canada. Canada's going to be pushing it. at the same time. Canada, you know what? There's been a lot like they got outshot by the Czechs. They didn't exactly shoot a lot for a team that scored 16 goals against Germany. They they didn't shoot a lot against Slovakia either. It's almost like Canada is just they're they're I don't know if they're saving their energy, but it doesn't seem like they're doing the onslaught shooting that we would expect from a team that loaded. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they do match up against Russia, where Russia's defense isn't as great. But we, we, we saw this team of the Cariola Cup when they really needed to be good and really were under pressure. They made it happen. And Askarov was outstanding. And maybe the World Junior stage is just really tough for Askarov. But Askarov's one of the better mental goalies that I've, I've seen where he doesn't let a bad game or a bad goal really bother him. Um, he played some of the best hockey we've ever seen him play before the World Juniors. And again, he's been very good it's just not the the game changer game saver that we've seen uh but at the same time they beat the americans they beat the swedes and those are the two teams they needed to play and it was not at fault when they lost against the czech republic so obviously like we're, we're, we're talking semantics here he's he's obviously still been playing really good and he's been a game changer but um it'll be interesting to see how he he tackles canada because that will be the toughest challenge he's had in this tournament and well pretty much anyone will have him to face canada at this point and we'll we'll have to say that but askaroff is we know how good he could be in big, important games. And this is the biggest of his career, essentially, at this point. Absolutely. And when you look at the roster that's before him, that's going to face Canada in the semis, you look at, you know, Rodi and Amirov, again, Vizley Podkolzin, um, and, you know, Afnaseyev. Again, these are just a couple names coming off the top of my head, as well as um, Ponomorov. I don't know if I pronounced that exactly correctly. Close, um, yeah. 
But, you know, is is their talent before Askarov enough to put up a good fight with Canada in your mind for uh, the semis running into the gold medal game? Do you think that it's enough that it might be a, a closer game than the last time they met? Absolutely. Because when you look at the game against uh, against Canada in the preliminary round, I thought Rush actually played pretty good. They just, Devin Levi played better. And that was, I think, the difference maker there. But um, for Russia, it's we, we know how skilled they are. They just really needed their big guys to get going. And they started to show a bit more confidence. And they seem to be better as the, the game's going on. The Russians are really starting to show their strength. So I think they're, again, they, this is a team that we see them almost, we, we question them a lot. And then they'll just peak at the right time. And I think that's what we're going to get with the Russians. So I think it's going to be a fantastic game, perhaps the game of the tournament. We know how important it is for both of these teams to win in this tournament and then also to beat each other in elimination or not elimination but a, a game with medals uh, at stake in terms of how that's going to work out so uh i think it's gonna be a fantastic game i think russia is definitely gonna be a good opponent they just need ascroft to be good they need the defense to really hold their own and play their best defensive game of the term and they need their scorers to score so before we move on to canada and finland uh, or sorry the united states and finland um let me ask you this uh, who your players of the tournament been thus far for Canada? And I'll give you two or three if you want to um, do it that way. Uh, I think it's my, my pre-tournament prediction after Doc got knocked out was the guys that ended up still being my top three. Devin Levi, just for the sole fact is he's been good when he's needed to be. And he hasn't cost the team anything. He's not been a problem on the ice. Uh, the goals he's allowed have just been really good shots. Chromiak's great shot Brad Lambert's great shot so nothing there to be too worried about so he's been really good uh, I think Bowen Byram just oh, his two-way game is just he, he wows you every single shift and number one I think that Dylan Cousins guy's been pretty good I think I would say he's he, he's he's been worthy of uh, some attention out there but uh, yeah I'd say those are the three guys that I picked before the tournament as being Canada's most three most important players and I think they've been the best and it's it's definitely showing so far yeah, I would certainly have to agree with your predictions. Again, you look at Dylan Cousins, who had himself a nice six-point night a couple nights ago. Uh, Devin Levi, again, incredible. Bone Byram, whose two-way game, honestly, I've loved since selection camp. It um, really showed. I mean, again, those are, again, claiming the games we did see because there were games that happened uh, behind closed doors and closed cameras. So um, something to keep in mind there. Um, but before we move on, David, any input um, with regards to the uh, Canada-Russia match? Um, well, one thing I'm definitely interested to see is uh, a guy who's obviously was great last tournament. and He's been great this tournament as well. Connor McMichael, definitely someone who, you know, another one of those key players for Canada. And he's always been, but I, I'm kind of interested, interested to see, you know, these gold medal games again, he's been here last year. I'm, that's just my guy who I'm definitely going to be watching a lot as well as Cole Perfetti. Now he's been one of those guys, again, played pretty well. There's not, can't really complain too much about what he's been doing but some people i've seen you know on twitter there's always going to be a lot of debates and he hasn't put up the necessarily the points the, the totals that people thought he would so uh definitely someone who i'm going to be watching a lot and i want to see if you know we see a little bit more from him there obviously again he's been a good player nothing really to complain about on that end but maybe i guess set, i guess the best way to put it is will he play at that next level that we know perfetti could play at Perfetti, I actually predicted him to get five points, and I believe he's sitting at five points yep. through five games. So uh, there you go. He doesn't have to score again. 
make me look good uh but uh, for perfetti it's like a lot of people really wanted him on the team last year and from watching him at training camp i just didn't see where he would fit in and he didn't make the team this year it's like he, he fit in much better the thing about goal scorers though when you're not scoring goals it's very hard and while we saw perfetti's two-way game has definitely taken huge strides like this is a perfetti that 12 months ago would have really struggled basically just because he didn't have the overall skill set that he really developed, not just on the first half season, the second half season, but just overall, he just, he's, he's a much more defensive player than he was before. He's definitely a better skater. He really improved his speed. And that was a really a detriment thing, but it's kind of like Cole Caulfield and Americans. It's like, if you're not scoring, it can get to you. Connor Mike McMichael, where he's got three goals, but one of them was an empty netter. And um, these are guys you expect to score a lot of goals and they haven't, but for Perfetti, I think he's, he's just doing enough behind the scenes that it's like Byfield. Yeah. Byfield's not putting up a lot of like goals and he's not scoring at a rate. A lot of people expect, but he's doing so much what you need to do. Everyone on Canada is really subscribing to this two way role. And that's why Devin Levi hasn't had a whole lot of problems there where, you know, um, look at paper and you Canada's defense. You say, oh, it's good. It's pretty good. Uh, and it's right now it's been one of the best defense groups in the tournament but maybe not the most exciting group or not the group that you will think is the ultimate best one that they have but they've just done such a good job as a group making sure those high scoring chances aren't happening and Cole Perfetti's been part of that so uh just kind of like what I said Byfield it's he might not be putting up a huge number of points he's, he's a point per game player like it's not that bad at all, but, uh, and maybe not consistently every game he's playing at the high performance, but I, th- I've liked enough of what I seen from a guy like that. And it's a group that's filled with guys who can put pucks in the net too. So they don't necessarily need him to be, uh, that number one game changer. And I think it's interesting when we talk about players with those, uh, who could play those two way roles, because I mean, going into the tournament, uh, a couple of players who didn't end up making the team that I was really interested in watching were, uh, some of which were Ridley Gregg and Cole Schwint, two guys who, yeah, you know, if, if you're not the biggest follower of prospects, you might not know too much about them, especially, you know, Cole Schwint, he might not be the most uh, well-known prospect in the world, but he's one of those guys who personally, I've, I've watched a lot of Mississauga play and I've really liked, you know, his two-way game and his, his ability to be one of those aggressive type of players who can win puck battles, get you the puck. And also, play an offensive role and one thing going into this team that I know I was really focused on was the fact that you have so many offensive uh superstars on this team offense isn't going to be the issue what I was thinking that I was intrigued to see how Torini was going to approach this was getting some of those um not only two-way players but those kinds of aggressive players that are just hard to play against at every you know they're going to win those board battles they're going to win you the puck if things might not be going your way those are those guys who can maybe not dazzle offensively but those are those guys that you know maybe you slot in on the fourth line are just so hard to play against then obviously um greg you know with COVID, he didn't end up making the roster and schwinz was always going to be a uh maybe a tough uh he wasn't going to be one of those guys that was likely going to make it, but I was very interested to see who was going to take on that kind of role. And I think what we've seen is a couple of guys kind of, maybe not one specific person doing it, but a few people trying to. Yeah. With, with that for Canada, like when you saw the roster, it's like, they went full skill. And that's something that when we've seen Canada kind of fail at this tournament before, it's like, they're not usually picking the top 13 best forwards they're picking the top nine best forwards and guys who can play more of a two-way physical uh attack attack type role and 
Canada decided not to do that this year. And I think that's been one of their strengths where if they can smother the team's offense or if they can use their offense to smother other teams, they've, all they need is the defense to really hold up and the defense has done that. So uh, I haven't really like Cole Schwint. I like Cole Schwint. I've, I've, I cover the Steelheads and I have done a couple of their games where as a commentator where he actually one goal he tried to do a, or one game he tried to do a cross goal and it didn't work, but then he went out and scored anyways um, on the very the same play, but uh, talented player. I just didn't think he was a really good fit for this team. Same thing, really, Greg, where they, they would definitely be on the more physical side of things. They'd be able to be one of the harder working player, some of the harder working players, but the Canada's biggest weakness in a lot of the tournaments is just, they didn't bring enough skill this year. They brought the skill and that can't be an issue. So um, if they're going to lose a game going forward, it's not going to be uh, because they, they lost five, one or something like that. It's going to be because it's like a five, four game. It's going to be a high scoring game. It's going to take a lot for the Canadian Canadians to be kind of outdone in that way. And it, it just sounds like all I'm doing is praising Canada, but we, look at the lineup. It's one of the best we've seen in a long time. And they finally did the one thing. A lot of people were wondering they were, if they were ever going to do it correctly, which is bring a full skill group and it's working. It's their tournament to lose really. I mean, I don't want to say it's obviously there's some other great teams here, but uh, what I've said before is, you know, again, this is Canada's tournament to lose. And if they lose, I mean, never before have we seen a roster with every single one of your forwards being a first round pick and most of the team being a first round pick in that sense, you know, if they don't win and it's obviously it's hard to say you have to go out there and win gold or else uh you know you screwed up here this is embarrassing but it almost is because again we've never seen i don't think a roster with this amount of first round talent before and i just think that's something that again if they do lose and i don't if you know finland puts up a great performance if they lose or get the silver medal in the end you know it's just something that I don't know how they're going to bounce back from really, in terms of a lot of uh, people's opinions. Cause this is a team that, again, it's theirs to lose. There's no other way of putting it. Really. Yeah. This is a team that's, it's an older team. It's a bigger team. I believe they only have five players eligible for next year to return. And two of them are Cole Perfetti and Quinta Byfield who could be in the NHL at that point. So then you got Kate and Gooley, Dylan Garand, and uh, I believe you had Jamie Drysdale who again, I'd also still be in the NHL at that point. So it's not exactly the most inspiring group of players returning if they only got two guys left. Um, so this is going to be a huge roster turnover. So this is kind of a really big, big important year for Canada. Um, they, the 2002 age group was a very strong one for the Canadians. So they will have another nice year next year, but uh, this is one where you just, it, it's, hard seeing them not winning because of just how well they've played you get get comments on twitter and like oh they're playing sloppy they're doing this like at some point you got to give credit to the other team for playing well and the czech republic was a good example of that but i think canada just did what they've needed to do in every single game and they're keeping their guys rested they're they're rolling the lines and it's really fun to watch so it, it is canada's tournament to lose at this point with that said, let's move on to the United States and Finland now who are going to be facing off in the semifinals themselves. Um, look, the United States, they're, they've got a packed roster as well when it comes to, you know, offensive production, as we've seen with uh, scores such as 11 nothing again, though that was against the Austrians. And, you know, you know, can't say that any of us are surprised by that. Um, you know, you look at Trevor Zegras, who started breaking out. Cole Caulfield, who's uh, been more so on his game than not. Uh, then you just look at other names such, such as Jake Sanderson. You know, I, I I could go on, but I'm not coming, you know, to uh, four people by the time I finish that roster. So, you know, um, 
at the same time, Finland brings a roster of their own. When you look at, again, a name you brought up earlier uh, in comparison, that was Brad Lambert. Then you've got Anton Lindell. Then their goaltender who is uh, sharing one category with both Devin Levi and Spencer Knight, and that's Kari Peroinen, who's actually been really solid in this tournament. And so, you know, you look at you look at the U.S. with Spencer Knight and all this talent. You look at Finland with uh, their talent, and you know, honestly, I've been kind of a fan of Finland myself and seeing what they've been able to to accomplish. So, um, you know, give me your first insight on uh, this matchup. Well, the goaltending at both ends have been fantastic. I know the Americans, uh, some people kind of really reacted quickly and said, oh, Spencer Knight, uh, by a, this is not good. Spencer Knight's been pretty lights out ever since, and that's what we expect out of Spencer Knight. So, and Perionen's been fantastic for Finland. Uh, the Finns are a team where every year you just wonder, okay, are they going to win gold? Or are they going to come seventh place? It's just like, it's, it's so Jekyll and Hyde with them. And this year, I was, I definitely didn't give them enough credit. Uh, but they go on out there and beat the Swedes and one of the hardest working efforts you'll see at this tournament, just a fantastic game overall. And uh, the Finns, they were definitely were open to some criticism, but some of the players that left off Patrick Pistola and Aturati being two of the guys where it's like, Oh, you probably should have brought those guys specifically Pistola who, you know, he's not having a great year in the Finnish men's league, but he was the most dominant Finnish U20 player last year. So you'd think you'd want to give him another chance at this team didn't bring it. So there will be some reasons to, if they don't win gold, criticize the group they brought but uh i think the finland is just a team where you don't need a ton of star prospects you will find a way to do well and their defense has been really fantastic nemo's been great and philly Halone hanola has been had some tough moments but otherwise has been pretty good their goaltending has been fantastic um it's it's a team where they just work so hard while the Americans are more of a speedy skilled team where a lot of these guys play together in the u.s national development team so they know each other well and this matters so much for them because it is kind of their last hurrah for that 2001 group that was so good basically at every event they played at and they don't have jack hughes this year but they've been able to do so much with trevor zegras who's just been outstanding uh turcott i think's been good in and out of the tournament arthur calia but i'd like to see a bit more out of cole caulfield same thing but uh, i'm not too worried about them i think this is gonna be a really good game more of an underrated one where you think canada russia has a bigger game but finland just it doesn't they don't give up they never do in any international tournament they when it was mentioned that uh, on the TSM broadcast, how Finland won in the 2018 world championship with two guys playing in the NHL, they, they weren't full-time guys. They were part-time players and only one of them only played a couple games. So uh, that's a group that just every year, doesn't matter what tournament is, Finland finds a way to fight through things and make it work. And that's what we're seeing out of this, these pesky Finns once again. But um, the Americans just, I think they got the edge net. I think their defensive depth is better, even if they don't, I'd say Heinola and, to Nemo have been the better defenseman overall um, and they don't have the same offensive depth that uh, the Americans have but that doesn't seem to matter to the Finns when they play in these tournaments they still do whatever they, it takes to win and they work as a group they they subscribe to the right ideologies on the ice and it's why they're a fun team to watch but they're pesky to play against you don't like to be playing the Finns in any event because you know what they're going to do Yeah, I think that they've really come together really nicely. And again, Toby Niemela is someone who uh, obviously stands out to me. Then Bill Hino, like you said, has been, you know, kind of started off slowly, but, you know, he's done, again, rather solid. I saw, then, you know, you look at Anton Lindell, who scored the other night. Uh, and, you know, altogether, I'm, I'm just really impressed by this team. And it, honestly, I could see them uh, taking a close game with the U.S. and 
ultimately, you know, pulling the W out of it. So um, if Peroin is able to stand his ground again, uh, you know, I see very little reason to have any concern. But uh, again, they're going to face a tough U.S. team who's, uh, again, who knows each other. And, you know, um, again, they're all top talents and more familiar names than, than the Finns. However, you know, it just, it's the talent on both sides that, I mean, I, I think has, it's going to make this game really exciting. And, you know, my, my team here is Finland. And I don't know about David, but, um, you know, that's how I see it. I'm going to have, I, I honestly, I'm still going to go with the U.S. here. But Finland, I, I'm not going to be surprised if Finland wins. I mean, they've got a great, they, they've just been playing a great game. every Like, they don't have necessarily all the, the amount of star power that obviously the U.S. has. But just the way they're playing, they're on ice execution has just been great. One player who I really, uh, someone who I thought would definitely be one of the stars on this team was uh, Robbie Arventy. And that's someone who really, I, I think he's gone pointless so far in the tournament. And that's been probably the one that's really surprised me so far. Uh, I think I had him as a guy who I thought could be a top three player on this team, just based on what he's been doing in the uh, Liga this season. Really, I thought this was going to be a big year for him. And I haven't seen that. So that's probably been one of my biggest disappointments with this Finnish roster. But again, you, the U.S. also has some players that I'm pretty disappointed with as well that I thought were going to be great. I mean, Jake Sanderson, yeah, he's played pretty well in his own zone. But that offensive um, impact that I was expecting, I, again, haven't really seen that from him. Obviously, you know, Cam York's been able to... Uh, take all take over for the offense so that hasn't really been a problem for the U.S. but I think on every team there's always those players that you expect to do a lot better than they are so really I still think that U.S. they have the more um, they have the star power but Finland I mean they just work really well together so definitely going to be one of the most interesting games to watch. Uh, I'm going to go with the Americans too just because I think that for, if there's any close tiebreakers for me, I always go with who I predicted before the tournament and I'm sticking with the Americans in that case. And Canada USA final would be really fun, but Canada Finland final would be really good. The thing about the Finns and people kind of, I think discounted them after that game against Canada was I think that was more a testament of just how good Canada played compared to how bad Finland played. I didn't think they necessarily played that bad and the goaltending was good. Canada just played one of the best 40 minutes. I think I've ever seen at this tournament in terms of just pure puck dominance and just just not letting your teammate your opponents do anything with the puck and that's what the canadians did so finland i i think in a, a rematch it's not a uh, a wash it's not canada going out there and winning the just by a long shot or they didn't win by a long shot but just controlling the play i think we would see a better game but it, it's close but i'm just going to the americans just solely because that's who i went with before the tournament i'm sticking to it you know, and again, typically I would say the same. They have more star power than Finland. That's, you know, that's no hidden secret, but um, I think that Finland is certainly going to put up a battle with them. So with that being said, uh, give me your three stars or your three best players uh, that so far through the tournament for the U.S. And again, um, before uh, I actually let you do that, I will uh, second David in saying a name that I did bring up with Jake Sanderson, who I thought would bring more pop personally, and, you know, he hasn't. But Cam York, uh, and this is, again, a discussion I had earlier this afternoon with another couple colleagues and friends um, surrounding the U.S. talent, is that he was able to make up for that. So um, just something to uh, make note of, and then we can uh, talk finals for the last uh, 10 or so minutes. But, yeah, give me your three best players uh, for the U.S. to this point. Well, number three, I'm going with Matt Boldy. I thought that he, this is a guy that just do it, do it, 
no matter what type guy, he was going out there and he's just doing everything for his team. And you love a guy like that on your roster. He's producing points. He's playing really well defensively. He's throwing some hits. He's not will. He's not. He's not concerning me one bit of his play. He's been great. Uh, Cameron York, again, a guy that I was a huge fan of in his draft year, but a lot of people kind of said, oh, he's got to work on his own zone play, which is, I'd say, a pretty important thing for a defenseman. But I think he's just got so much skill that you just love when he gets the puck because he's going to do something with it. And I do like him more than Jake Sanderson. And I guess I got to include Trevor Zegris just because he's been the best player in this entire tournament. But uh, I, I got to talk to some scouts and, 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 and USA coach Nate Lehman about what makes Trevor Zegris um, so good for the hockey news. And oh man, the, like, I, I don't know if I've seen a prospect where just such raving reviews about what he can do when he touches the puck. It's like, no one knows what he's going to do because he's just so creative in that sense. So, uh, and that's something that necessarily wasn't his, his huge selling point when he was a draft prospect so Anaheim Ducks have a hugely talented prospect yeah but hopefully they develop him right I know Sam Steele and uh, Max Jones and Terry uh, Troy Terry we were really expecting some some big results out of them we haven't seen that yet but uh that could change agreed and um I mean look Trevor Zegras one of those guys that even when he was drafted honestly um Maybe I'm one of the few, but when watching, uh, when producing draft rankings and things like that, Zgrass was someone who I just, I, I had to stop myself from continuing to watch because after I already had my opinions and all my notes, I just couldn't stop continuing to watch games. He's just that fun to watch. I mean, his playmaking ability is just, honestly, I thought aside from Jack Hughes and maybe even rivaling Jack Hughes were just the best on that team. And at one point I actually had him like third overall. I thought that's just how good he is. He could be that uh, great player at the next level. And I, I do think that, you know, he could be, and if developed properly, yeah, you know, the ducks might have their next, uh, obviously not the same player, but the guy that could replace um, Ryan Getzlav. And I mean, here's to hoping he could really take on that role and he's developed properly. Definitely someone who I think is going to be in the NHL, but Again, with those top three players, another guy who I want to mention who, yeah, he might not be one of those top three players, but just someone who I've loved watching this tournament, it's been Brock Vilder. Uh, mm. Someone who I, I spoke to last year and, you know, not, there are people who didn't maybe think that he would be on this roster, but I just, speaking with him, you know how much pride he has putting on that U.S. jersey. And that's just something that I've always noticed with him. And, and speaking to him, he, you could tell that the highlight and probably what drives him more than anything is being able to put on that U.S. jersey. And I think that's, you know, we've seen that at this tournament. He's not concerned necessarily with, and that's never been his role, uh, producing offense, but he's just the guy that once he's on the ice, he will do anything he can to help his team. And just something that I've loved watching, not necessarily um, his offense, obviously, but just the fact that he's just a smart player who knows what he needs to do and just gives it his all. This might be a hot take, but I actually, uh, I know a lot of people hate their blue home jerseys and love their white, their white um, uh, away jerseys. I hate their white jerseys and I love their blue jerseys. Complete opposite of what most people are saying. I just think the just doing a throwback retro just for the sake of it, I don't like. I, I think that's just lazy. Come up with a better design than that. Come on. They've had some great jerseys in the past. I want to see them incorporate some of the uh, retro designs a bit better. I've, I've never been a fan of just results or like defaulting to retro. And I have, I have a big Jersey collection. I got like 62 something jerseys. I don't know if I would ever buy other than the, maybe the Montreal Canadians or first retro because I've, I've always wanted a Jersey like that, or even the Calgary flames one. I don't think I'd be too interested in just because I don't like just defaulting to retro. I just think that's kind of lazy. 
some some of the retros that the NHL just released, I, I loved. I mean, uh, I think my favorite was probably the LA Kings one. I just love that purple and gold. It, for some reason, I've just always loved That's it. That's a good one. And, uh, I, I thought that if I was going to buy one of those, and I'm not a big Kings fan or anything, but if I'm going to buy a jersey, it might actually end up being, I, I just love that one personally. Fair one, fair one. Stephen, let me ask you this. This year, kind of switched up their jerseys from, you know, the, the typical black ones with the Hockey Canada logo to a Canadian leaf with Canada underneath, and it's all red with the uh, the white trim at the bottom. Uh, your take on this special edition jersey? I don't hate them. I don't love them. And if they didn't wear them again, I think I'd forget they did. Um, I'll go with that. I, I love the black jerseys. I've, I know people say, like, oh, well, Where's black in the Canadian flag? Well, first off, black's in the Hockey Canada logo. Uh, and second, um, I'm glad that a team using red and white decided to add a third color because we got Denmark, we got Russia, we got Belarus for the other than a bit of green on their jerseys. We've got Lithuania. We got a lot of teams that have red and white. So it's nice that they do something a little different there. But uh, I, I think they grew on me a little bit, just like they look better on the ice than they did in the, the original shots we saw. But I don't know, at the expense of the black jersey, which was my all-time favorite Team Canada jersey, i not a fan, not a fan yeah, of that. I got, I got a question, and this might be, honestly, this might be the toughest one you've ever been asked in your hockey career, but what has been your favorite jersey at this tournament? Oh, at this tournament? Oh, well, it might, might have to be that black Canadian jersey. Uh, ooh, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of Austria's jersey at this tournament. Like, some of the best IHF tournament or jerseys are the ones you don't see at the world juniors because the teams aren't good enough, but I love Slovenia's. I love the United Arab Emirates have a really good one. Brazil's got a very sweet one. Uh, Colombia, a good color combination. Uh, but I don't know. I think I'd have to go with just, if we're talking this term with that black team, Canada Jersey, they were uh, last year before that. I just think it's very slick. I think Canada's three main jerseys, the red, white, and black ones are the best they've ever had. And uh, old geezers will say, no, 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 it's a 1972 jerseys. Well, I have no attachment to those jerseys. I'm not 125 years old. So uh, I'll go with that. And for Hockey Canada, uh, I was actually looking at a couple of their old jerseys within the last few days, and I came across their muddy green kind of colored jerseys, uh, with again, with the Hockey Canada logo, just the color being the only difference. Uh, your thoughts on that one? Because to me, that's not the you know most attractive jersey. If I were in a store, I wouldn't go pick that up. Well, see, it made sense with the context that it was played, it was in the tournament, it was played Saskatchewan, and it was thrown back to Saskatchewan Rough Riders. So that makes sense. I, I tweeted that I liked the jersey just for the sole fact it was different my one of my other favorite team canada ones is the one they wore uh 2004 world cup the first game the the winnipeg uh like yellow jersey they wore i thought that was awesome i thought that was great it made no sense to me whatsoever but i thought it was great and i still like that jersey if i ever find one at a good price i'm buying it but i just will never find one at a good price it's a hard jersey to get where do you get most of your jerseys? I mean, you have a big jersey collection. Do you ever, I know something personally I've done is, you know, you scour Value Village in those uh, thrift stores sometimes and find some, every now and then you'll find a good steal there. Do you ever do anything like that? I've never had any luck at a, at a, a thrift store. It's it's actually kind of disappointing in that. Um, I, I go a lot on eBay for that. Um, I, I bought a couple OHL jerseys when I was living out in Calgary, which was kind of strange. Uh, I've also like contacted some of the hockey organizations. Like I got a team Greece Jersey. I got my favorite, one of my favorites is um, 
uh, Andre DeVoe Atlanta Thrashers jersey from his like one preseason game with the team. And I got that game worn jersey. I'm a, my other one is a, I'm a huge Spangler Cup fan. I would say I like the Spangler Cup more than the World Juniors. And uh, so that was tough not getting to watch that this year. But AC Davos, uh, Rito Von Arks Davos jersey is like, I, I will. I love that one. My girlfriend hates it, says it's the ugliest one in the world because it's yellow and blue with a million ads, but I don't mind that. And I, I Rito Von Rex is one of my all-time favorite players. For The only reason being is he was awesome if you played with him in NHL 2006. He was the only guy on Davos who could do the pick up the puck and bat it out of the air move, which was hard to do. And he was the only guy on the team who could do it. So I became a huge fan of him because of that, not because of his like 19-game run in the NHL, but um, – those are some of my favorites for sure. I got a team Zimbabwe one. I got a team Antarctica one for a, a it was supposed to be a one-off game. Antarctica was going to play and supposedly guys like Mike Bossy, Hillary Knight were involved. Didn't happen, but I own one. So it's pretty cool. I might have to uh, send you a message after this for some uh, Jersey advice here. <laughs> I, I have too many. I haven't bought many. I, I try to save a lot of money by just never buying them a full price <laughs> basically just put it that way i also i got the the montreal canadians uh from their centennial year i don't have that striped one but i got the um the the red and green christmas tree looking one wow. and then i got the uh the blue one with guillemotton dresses name on it which is another one of my favorites i think i'm definitely going to be sending you a message after for some jersey advice <laughs> sure let's do it Stephen Ellis, the writer, Stephen Ellis, the jersey collector. Stephen, thank you so much for doing this. But before you go, uh, we've discussed who we think is going to get into the gold medal round, but we haven't predicted who gets the gold medal. So, uh, Stephen, we start with you. I'm going to start with who comes third. That'll be Russia. USA is number two. That just leads one other team, Canada for gold. So I think Canada, I, I picked them at the start. I, I haven't seen anything that would change my mind on that one. David? I got to say pretty much the same here. I mean, Canada's my team. I think, uh, you know what? I got to say, I can't really uh, disagree with those predictions then. And uh, I completely agree. And that's exactly <laughs> I predicted earlier this afternoon, uh, again, talking with a couple other colleagues and friends. So that being said, Stephen, thank you so much for giving us your time today. We really appreciate having you on and thank you for your insight and knowledge. Absolutely. Thanks so much. I, I can't wait to see uh, what the rest of the tournament beholds for us. Enjoy. Happy holidays and happy new year. Stay safe. All right, so that does it for this episode of the Puck Authority podcast. Again, uh, this was Stephen Ellis from the Hockey News. Stephen, before you go, where can you be found on social media for uh, hockey fans of all sorts to follow you? I'm on Twitter at uh, Stephen Ellis THN. You'll see my mix of articles, videos, uh, tweets about the game, and drawings of what's going on. Drawings have been really entertaining, I gotta say, so I'll give it to you there. David, where can you be found on social media? Uh, David underscore sis on Twitter. That, that's the best place you're going to find me. And then his work like mine at thepuckauthority.com. I'm at Justin Levine HBS. Um, this World Juniors uh, semifinals and gold medal game, it's, I mean, this is going to be an exciting time. Those games are across the TSN network on both TV and radio side. So, um, you know, let's get at it and let's see Canada get that gold medal. So that does it for episode 35 of the Puck Authority podcast. This can be heard on Spotify and uh, eight other networks and can be found right at thepuckauthority.com in our podcast section. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, David. Thanks, guys.